0: To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Everything we do is for the glory of God. Let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, we do affirm that all glory belongs to you. Thank you for being gracious to us, O God, by giving us your one and only Son. Thank you for giving us your Spirit, our great comforter and helper. We ask you now, O God, that you would help us by the aid of the Spirit, Strain our ears so that we would hear your word rightly. That you would use your servant in a way that honors you. So be with us now, O God. We do not need to hear the word of a man, but hear the word of the living God. We thank you for Christ, our gracious Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. What type of fruit do you produce in your life? That's the question before us. One Christian says it like this Every Christian will bear spiritual fruit, somewhere, sometime, and somehow. Otherwise, that person is not a believer. Every born again individual will be fruitful. Not to be fruitful is to be faithless, without faith, and therefore without salvation. I would agree with most of this statement of a bygone past or era. I would argue that not only Christians produce fruit, but even non-Christians produce fruit. And that fruit is bad fruit. We're in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 to 45. I've entitled this, Fruitful Christians. And the main point that I want to get across is this. A heart changed by God, let me say that again, a heart changed by God produces right fruit towards others. In verse 37 to 42, our previous text, our previous sermon, Jesus gives his disciples instructions or commands. And he tells his disciples to forgive and to give generously to those who are in legitimate need. And whatever measurement we apply to others, that same measurement or standard will be applied to us by God Himself. And so before we address the sins of others, we need to humbly address our own sins before we address the sins of others. The text prior to today's text doesn't say that we get a pass when we see our brother and sister in sin, we're to bypass them. Avoid them. Not even talk about the topic. No, Jesus is very clear. You can talk about the topic and you can address the sin, but you need to do it God's way. You need to see your own sin before you talk to others about their sin. There is a wrong way to judge, by the way. Judge not, lest you be judged or judged. There's a wrong way to judge others. That's with a critical spirit, a harsh spirit a condemning spirit or attitude that is the wrong way to judge others but the right way to judge is to be merciful to be forgiving without any hypocrisy therefore check your sin before you check other people's sin in today's sermon jesus presents an agricultural analogy to make a point to his disciples. Jesus is talking to his disciples. That's very clear in the text. And in this illustration, Jesus tells his disciples how to determine moral people from immoral people. Or if I may say it this way, Christians from non-Christians. And there are two important subpoints from our text today. They're in your bulletin. Point number 1, contradictory fruit contradictory fruit. And point number two, the heart always produces fruit. And I'm going to spend most of my time on point number two. And it would behoove all of us to strain our ears that we would listen by God's help, by God's spirit, and not think about the other person next to us and say, this person over there in row number three, section D, needs to listen to this. No, you and I need to listen to the very word of God we need to apply to our lives before we think about others and the question before us is what kind of heart do I have what kind of fruit am I producing in my Christian life as a matter of fact what kind of speech comes out of this mouth that God has given me and you what does speech my speech your speech reveal about us So point number one, contradictory fruit. We see this in verse 43 in the second half of verse 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bushes. So Jesus is using this agricultural farming illustration or analogy to make a point that there's two trees. There's a good tree and a bad tree. And a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. And a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. Normally, a good tree produces fruit that is appealing or attractive. A good tree that produces good fruit to the eyeballs or to the sight, we see that as visually attractive. We see this fruit, this good fruit, and it smells good. It smells delicious. And when we place it in our mouth, we understand that good fruit just melts in your mouth. It tastes great, and you want to tell everybody about it. A healthy tree produces ripe, delicious, satisfying fruit. That's what a good tree is supposed to do. But a bad tree does the exact opposite. Actually, some translation Define this as a diseased tree or a rotten tree. But in this analogy, Jesus just shares common sense with us. We understand that whether you're a farmer or not, doesn't, doesn't matter. You, we understand this, that a good tree does not produce bad fruit. A good tree does not produce bitter fruit. A good tree doesn't produce rotten, diseased fruit or bitter fruit that's just a fact it's impossible for these two trees to cross-pollinate if i can use that language it's impossible because to do so is a contradiction it doesn't make any sense to us the two are opposites and fruit in our context for today means our words or speech it could possibly mean our actions, depending upon the context. But for today, fruit symbolizes our words and our speech. Jesus does the same or presents the same idea with this good tree, bad fruit, in the second half of verse 44. He uses the illustration of figs and thorn bushes, or grapes and bramble bushes. Figs are sweet fruit they're pear shaped they're either yellow or red if you're a farmer feel free to correct me after the service but figs are not produced by thorn bushes these thorn bushes have sharp points these thorn bushes or briars or thistles have uh, sharp points that pierce into the skin that's their job and ripe Grapes are delicious, and they're picked from a vine, not from a thorny bush. We understand this idea. And what's the principle that Jesus is explaining? And it's this, that which cannot produce fruit does not produce fruit. That which cannot produce fruit does not produce fruit. We understand that. It's not designed to produce fruit. Let me illustrate it this way. At the front of the church in the parking lot, there's all these bushes. We have thorn bushes. They're pretty nasty, by the way. Don't go near them. They have thorns probably three, three inches long. They will pierce your skin. But what if Pastor Rollo takes a box of mangoes with a roll of tape, and I take a mango and I tape it to this thorny bush and use a little Elmer's glue. And now this whole thorny bush has mangoes out here on Spring Mountain, and I invite you out, and I said, look what this thorny bush has produced. And it looks very natural and organic, by the way. You would look at me and say, Pastor Rolo, have you lost your marbles? Is your coffee spiked? Is there something wrong with you? Because you understand intuitively that a thorny bush cannot produce mangoes. Right? We understand this. And so, what is Jesus' point? A good, free, a good tree always produces good fruit. And the bad tree does the opposite. That's what it's designed to do, that's what it was created to do. One produces what one is. And how do you determine the type of tree? By the fruit. If you want to figure out what kind of tree is out there, just look at the fruit. Mangoes come from mango trees. Bananas come from banana trees. Just look at the fruit and you'll know exactly what kind of tree. Because verse 44 says, For each tree is known by its own fruit. That's what it's designed to do. Which leads to point number two. The heart always produces fruit. The heart always produces fruit. And we see this in verse 45. And the beginning of verse 44, look at verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil uh, treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So the good person is a person who produces good fruit that originates from where? From the treasure of his own heart. So in the Bible, the Bible describes the heart as the inner self or the inner mind of a person. This is the center of who you are and who I am. It's the place of our thoughts, our volition, our emotions, our conscience, if you prefer, It's the place where we know right and wrong. Whether you come to church, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you open up a Bible or not, we know right from wrong. It's the place of our conscience, the heart, the inner mind. And what Jesus is doing is now he's going to take this concept, this agricultural concept, and connect it to our speech. Speech is directly connected to the heart. That's one of the main points. Our speech is directly connected to our hearts. And then we see what Jesus is doing. He's connecting these trees, these good and bad trees, with good and bad fruit to people. So Jesus gives his disciples the formula for determining What is good and bad? What is moral and immoral? What is Christian and not Christian? What's the answer? How do you determine good from bad? Evil from good. Immoral from moral. Speech. That's how you determine what is good and bad, is speech. We see that at the end of our text. Matthew 45 says this, or verse 45 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. A better translation is probably the NESB, which says, For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. You see that? That the heart is directly connected to the speech, the mouth. The heart is directed to the mouth. And we only say, we only speak what's already in our heart. So every single heart produces fruit. Let me say that again. Every single heart produces fruit. The real question is, is it good fruit or bad fruit? Is it good fruit or bad fruit? Because the heart of the matter is the heart. Every word that we speak, every word, action that we do comes from our heart comes from deep from within and so when a person speaks you can determine what's in their heart just listen closely to them so when we listen to a person's speech if you listen long enough remember god gave us two ears one mouth we should do more listening and less talking But if you listen to people carefully, you will eventually figure out their real motivation. You're going to figure out their agenda and their goal. Just sit, be quiet, and listen, and you'll figure out what's in their heart. Because speech is directly from the heart. When a person's speech is ungodly, When a person's speech is ungodly, this person's heart is graceless, graceless and unconverted. When a person's speech is carnal, they are carnal. When a person's speech is godless, they are godless. When a person's speech is profane, the heart is profane. And when a person's speech is mean-spirited, mean-hearted, they are simply a mean, angry person. Again, our mouths are directly connected to our hearts. Years ago, I met a Christian who was a recovering Roman Catholic. And the Lord saved him. By God's grace, changed his heart, changed his life. But from time to time, he would fall into bad habits. And what I mean by ha- bad habits, he would curse like a sailor. I used to think the cliche or the statement of curse like a sailor was just a saying. It really is a real thing. But this person would curse, and I would challenge him. I'd say, brother, why do you speak like that? Oh, I, I just forgot. Why do you talk like that? It just came out of me. It's just emotional. So after challenging him several times, I said, I'm going to put a penalty to every curse word that comes out of his mouth. So I said, brother, I'm going to help you because I'm your older brother. I'm going to help you. And this is what I'm going to do. For every curse word that comes out of your mouth, I'm going to charge you a quarter. And he looked at me a quarter. No problem. But he didn't realize I had a calculator. I was keeping tabs. So we got up to $10. And I said, hey, I'd like a free cup of coffee at Starbucks. He goes, you want me to pay? Yeah. You gave it to me (laughs) with your speech. So I collected. I will collect. And I did collect. (laughs) But I was trying to help the brother see that your speech... If you're a Christian, your speech reveals what's in your heart. And I was trying to help him think more godly, more biblical, think in terms of holiness. Speech reveals what's in the heart. James one twenty six says this, if anyone, thinks he's, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion, religion is worthless. The person who can't bridle his or her tongue can't discipline their own speech. They mislead themselves, and the religion is useless and empty. Again, the speech reveals what's in the heart. One reformer says it like this about our speech The Spirit of Christ changes one's speech. If there is no outer change, there has been no inner change. If there's been no outer change, there's no inner change. I would even argue that the Spirit of Christ not only changes our speech, but changes our eardrums, changes our heart, changes our mind. The things that we used to listen to, we don't listen to anymore. Why? Because it's godless and sinful. We understand that, right? God not simply owns our mouths. God owns all of us. But in this context of do not wrongly judge others, what's implied is this. There's times where you don't have to judge others. All you have to do, what's implied is this. Just listen they will indict themselves with their speech. They will indict themselves by their own speech. And so when a heart has been changed by God's grace, it's been changed forever. They've been changed forever. And in our context today or our verses today, how do we know that? Because Jesus says, and here's the emphasis, the emphasis of good. He says it three times. A good person has good treasure of his heart which produces good you see that good 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 and then he contrasts that with evil 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 the heart can only come from God by God's grace to the sinner John chapter 3 is the clearest proof text of a changed heart we don't change our own heart God does But what is the condition of the heart that has never been changed by God's grace? The natural heart is fallen. The natural heart is not good, but evil. And so, when people, well meaning Christians, say, We're all, talking about humanity, we're all brothers and sisters, and there's no definition, there's no clarification, it's because of this doctrine that mankind is sinful wicked and evil the natural state of every human heart of every human being is spiritually dead towards god evil and wicked we're not born good for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god we're not born neutral i've said this once i'll say it a million times neutrality is a myth you you came into this world doa dead on arrival spiritually but physically alive all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God that's Romans three twenty-three. we are dead in trespasses and sins that's Ephesians 2 1 we're dead we don't have seasonal allergies we don't have COVID spiritually we are dead dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, the unconverted heart is stubborn and callous. That's Ephesians 4.18. The heart is insidious and full of deceit and incurable. That's Jeremiah 17.9. Romans 3.10 says this, to both Jew and Greek, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. How come nobody seeks after God? It's because our hearts are wicked and sinful and we don't seek for God. Because a sinful heart is like that briar or thorny bush. A thorny bush produces thorns. And a sinful, dead heart produces what? Sin against God, their creator. Doesn't run to God, runs away from God. That's what Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God. They didn't run to God and say, God, please forgive us, O great God and creator. They ran. They ran into the bushes. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's what the Bible says about humanity. That's the natural heart. That's the natural state. By nature, we're children of God? No. By nature, sinful nature, we are children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2.3. We're not children of God. We're children of wrath. And so maybe there's somebody in here today who doesn't have a changed heart. And you're wondering, why am I always bitter? Why am I always angry? Why am I always frustrated? Why am I always pointing fingers at other people and judging them and prejudging them? How come I never think of others more important than myself? You never give others the benefit of the doubt. Could it be that your heart has never been changed by God? You've never experienced the love of God, the forgiveness of God. Therefore, that's what you say and do to others. You constantly judge them in a wrong, harsh, demeaning, and hateful way. If that's you, you're not going to avoid the wrath to come. You've sinned against God with that type of heart. A sinful heart. You're currently under God's judgment for your own sins. That should be sobering to you. The reason you don't forgive others is because you've never experienced God's forgiveness to you. Think about that. If that's you, then you need to cry out to the Lord for mercy. You need to say to the Lord, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner through and through. I don't forgive people. I hate people. I hate what people do to me. Change my heart, oh God. Help me. Those are the type of humble prayers that the Lord hears and blesses. Cry out to Him for mercy and grace. Fall upon Him and never let Him go. The Lord is good. The Lord is loving and kind. Just by being here today is evidence that God has been gracious to you. God forgives sinners. God forgives those who repent of their sin and trust in His Son, His one and only Son. I want to encourage you, cry out to God for mercy and grace. But also, there are some of us who have been saved by God's amazing sovereign grace. He's changed our hearts in drastic ways. And now we want to live for Him. If need be, die for Him. Because think about it, if somebody dies for you, do you not owe them your life? Yes, we owe the Lord our lives because we were the ones who should have been crucified. We were the ones who should have died for our sins. And yet God, in his kindness, gave us Christ Jesus, his son. This is the greatest love story I've ever read in my entire life. That God would love sinners, those who repent and trust in Him. The love of Hollywood is not real love. I hope we understand that. The love of the Bible is sacrificial for the benefit of another. And we've received that type of love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise Him for that. And if you've been changed by God's grace and your heart has been changed, then what does your speech reveal about you? We're talking about speech. What does your words say about your own heart? Because Jesus says the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. A sinful heart can only do what a sinful heart does. And that sin wholeheartedly, 100% of the time, against God, has no remorse, doesn't feel bad, doesn't feel guilty, and yet they want to go to heaven. That's the amazing part. But yet the heart that has been changed by God has been changed forever and they're no longer enslaved to sin. Yes, real Christians sin against God. When brothers and sisters say, Pastor Rolo, I'm struggling with this sin. Am I saved? Am I a Christian? I say, brother, sister, are you struggling against your sin? Yes. Do you hate your sin? Yes. That's a sign of spiritual life. Praise God for that. The Lord will help you. And the Lord helps us. The problem is we try to face sin on our own without asking God to help us. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss to spend on your own sinful, evil desires. The natural person with the natural heart is hardened, cold-blooded, and lifeless. That's what the natural heart produces. So whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're going to produce fruit. The real question is, what type of fruit? And if you listen long enough, you'll figure out what's in the heart. And as Christians who want to honor Christ, who love the Lord Jesus, we become wise and skillful fruit checkers in the sense that we listen carefully to what people say. I think the problem is we just don't spend the time to listen. I think we talk over each other. We're so interested in getting our point across instead of listening and then figuring out what's going on in the heart. But there's something very important here that I want us to see from the Word of God, verse 39, 40, and 42, because it's important that we connect these verses so we have a proper understanding Of what's going on here in verse 39 he says this he also told them a parable can a blind man lead a blind man will they not both fall into a pit of course the answer is no verse 40 a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher so in the first verse blind people cannot lead others and in verse 40 A disciple who's committed to his teacher will eventually, in time, become like his teacher. And then we look at verse 42. Verse 42 says, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Again, the Bible doesn't say that we get a pass, that we're not going to uh, call our brother and sister to repentance if they're in sin. If you love your brother and sister in Christ, you're gonna want what's best for them, that they would love Jesus more than their sin. And so Jesus doesn't say, don't judge. No, he says, you can judge, but rightly judge. Look at your own sins first. And the disciples of Jesus are to make judgments, I would argue, in at least two areas. Two areas. One doctrine. One doctrine. I'm convinced that many churches in America, in the West, are sick or dead because they've never dealt with the spiritual cancer that's in their individual lives or in the life of the church. We are focused on creating numbers. If we could just build it, they will come. If we have bigger barns, we have more people and a bigger budget. Is that the focus of the gospel? That is not the focus of the gospel. The focus of the gospel is to make disciples to love Jesus beyond any other thing and any other person in the world. But yet many churches are unwilling to call certain doctrines heretical or unbiblical. Why? Judge not, lest you be judged, Pastor Rolo. No, you can judge, but do it in a biblical, gracious, loving way. During the Reformation, there was a doctrine called the doctrine of perspicacity. Perspicacity. And that's the plain understanding, the simple understanding of the Holy Scriptures. So how do we apply that to us? It's simply this. When we read the Word of God... We trust it and we obey it. That's the Reformation's doctrine of perspicacity. It's the simple reading of God's word. Read the word and obey. We sing the old Southern Baptist hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus, but to what? trust and obey. That's the doctrine of perspicacity. We just sing it and there's no technical terms, right? So we need to be Christians who are critical thinkers, critical listeners, and we need to judge in the area of doctrine. Otherwise our own soul will be plagued by sin. So doctrine matters. Theology matters. And the second area that we need to judge in is morality. Sin is sin. Not because I call it sin, is because God calls it sin. God has a moral code or a moral law that's stamped on every single heart. We know what sin is. And yet, when the church and Christians don't deal with sin, what we're actually doing is we're hurting our brother and sister in Christ whether intentionally or unintentionally. We say we love them, but we leave them in the fire, in an inferno, to burn and die. We understand what happened several weeks ago in Hawaii. When the fire spread quickly, in a fast manner, that people didn't have a chance to evacuate, they thought, oh, no big deal. And then after the fire was put out, they went into the neighborhoods and they found bodies in the fire charred up. Adult bodies with little children. Adult bodies with little babies. When we leave our brother and sister in sin, that's what's going to happen to them. If you love them, the hope is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ call them to repentance because why you love God and you love them you want what's best for their soul we want to help them grow in holiness so i want to recommend here three ways on how we should offer the right kind of judgment three ways on how to offer the right kind of judgment number 1 if we have brother and sister in sin we need to do it privately that's Matthew chapter 18. Do it privately. Do it one-on-one. On one. There's no reason to share this sinful situation on all social media platforms. There's no reason to tell other people about it and complain about it. There's no reason to bring it up in the prayer meeting as a prayer request. You understand what I'm saying. Number too. We need to offer judgment in a gentle and constructive way. In a gentle and constructive way. So not only privately, but a gentle and constructive way. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then you jump to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. This is what it looks like. You don't go up to the brother and sister and say, brother and sister, you got a sin problem. Let me tell you about your sin problem. And then you offer no real help. All you wanted to do was just get something off your chest. You didn't say, I want to pray for you. I want to hold you accountable. Let's walk together in holiness. I'm here for you, brother and sister. If you're struggling, I'm here for you. Let me know what you need, and I'll help you. What does that mean? What it means is this. If you really want to help your brother and sister in Christ, do it at personal sacrifice. Otherwise, we're just complaining. We're not really wanting to be people who can resolve the problem. We just want to get the problem off of our chest and just wish them bye-bye. Sad, but true. If you want to help, then it's going to come sometimes at a personal expense. Otherwise, the meeting is not warranted. What's the purpose of the meeting? We're really not going to help. Third, exemplary. When we offer the right kind of judgment, we need to be exemplary. We need to set a good example for others. We cannot tell people, hey, you got a sin problem with drinking. And in our houses, we're secret alcoholics. Does that make any sense? When we tell people, hey, brother, sister, your marriage is in jeopardy, your family's in jeopardy. And then in our own private homes, our own marriage families family's falling apart. Does that make any sense? Not at all. So we need to set a good example for others. Do it in private, Be gentle and constructive and be willing to help them by setting a good example. As I conclude here, there's three verses that I want us to consider. Pray and ask God to help us apply it to ourselves this week. Three scriptures. John 15, verse 8. John 15, verse 8. It says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you've received a heart by God's grace, a heart of grace, you're connected to Christ, then what's going to happen in your life is you're designed, your new heart is designed to produce fruit, much fruit. We need to think about that. What type of fruit are we producing right now? Is there any fruit in our lives? And if so, what kind? John 15, 2. John 15, 2 says this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. If a Christian is connected to the life-giving Jesus Christ, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. And sometimes when we're not producing fruit like we should, God in His kindness and mercy to us, He will prune us or cleanse us. He will prune us. Why? Because when you prune a rose bush that's not producing roses, after the pruning, it produces healthy, beautiful roses. You produce more healthy fruit in your spiritual walk with the Lord. So we shouldn't think of cleansing or pruning in the negative. We should think of it in the positive. Thank you, Lord, for bringing that to my attention. Help me by your grace to produce fruit for your glory. Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. This is talking about harmful speech or unwholesome talk that the mouths that God gave us The words that come out of our mouths should be used to strengthen and build others. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Did you hear that? No corrupting, defiling talk should come out of our mouths, but only that, that builds others up, and it gives grace. Is our speech gracious? Are we giving grace? Verse 31 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So these Christians had a problem with their mouth, had a problem with their speech. Why? Because they had a problem with their heart. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Which goes back to my original point. The reason that people don't forgive many times is because they've never been forgiven by God. And if you've been forgiven by God, guess what? You have a new heart and you can forgive others now. Praise the Lord. Because I know in my own natural heart I have a tendency not to forgive. And I praise God for the new heart. And you should praise God for the new heart. Now we are able and capable to forgive because God gave us His Son. Praise the Lord. If we're genuinely connected to the Savior, our speech will show it. Our language will show it. Sermon in a sentence. A heart changed by God's grace in Christ Jesus produces sweet, ripe, and gracious words for God's glory. For God's glory. God saved you for His glory. God created you for His glory. God gave you the ability to talk. You know, there are people in the world that can't talk. I hope we understand that. I'm sure they wish they could talk and communicate with their family and friends, but they have no ability to talk, yet God gave us a mouth and we can talk to one another and communicate. That mouth that God gave us is for His glory. It's for His glory. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with your speech, seek the Lord. Don't come to Pastor Rolo first. I'm a frail human who needs God's mercy and grace every day. Go to the Lord first. Ask Him to help you, and He will help you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this convicting word that we've heard today. Lord, You've been kind to us. And You continue to be kind to us, in spite of who You know us to be. And we admit to you, O God, many times we are mad, angry, tired, frustrated, and bitter. And the words that come out of our mouths are not pleasing in your sight. We've dishonored you, we've sinned against you, and fellow image bearers. Father, forgive us. We're thankful that your mercies are fresh and new each and every day. Help us, O God, to use the speech that you've given us to build others up and to proclaim the glories of Christ. Help us to evangelize and to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. In Christ we pray. Amen.